In the shadow of Anfield Stadium, home ground of the mighty Liverpool Football Club, sits a modest bakery that's rooted as deep in the hearts of the people of the area as the stadium itself. My mum used to come with me in a pram, buy a little hovis loaf, put it in the ends of my pram to keep my feet warm. I was brought up on the bread from this shop. You know, it's always been here. And it should always be here because it's like that central thing that like glues us together. I used to come here when it was the original owner, you know. And it's always been a good place and these are all my friends. I come in here every day because you make lovely pies. And the pies of home baked are famed throughout the city, if not the world. So I've just come on holiday from Australia and I've heard these are the best pies in Liverpool, so that's why I'm here. Homebaked grew from the ashes of Mitchell's, a much-loved family business that served the community for nearly a century before closing its doors for good in 2010. It sits on the boundary of two working-class North Liverpool wards, Anfield and Everton, which today have around 15,000 residents. The bakery today is run as a cooperative and independent of a national chain. To a lot of people it's important to have some little local things that are not a big franchise, that are just there for the money. You know, this place definitely is not about the money, it's about the people. Alongside the pies, pastries and bread and a cafe which opens six days a week, Homebake provides something else for the people, an opportunity to learn new skills which will help them get back into work. This is embedded in their mission to feed, educate and employ the people of Anfield. I think it does a great thing, you know, it gives people introduction back into work, either voluntary or paid, but it gives people you know, an opportunity to um, be part of a community. You know. This show is about how community businesses can help revive high streets and why it matters. I'm Neil Roberts and I've been volunteering at and lending support to community businesses over the last eight years. And this show is extra important to me because I volunteer at a community bakery called Love Bread in Brighouse, West Yorkshire. On the Community Business Fix, I get to shine a light on the projects in which communities are coming together to transform the places they live. The Community Business Fix is a monthly podcast brought to you by Power to Change, the independent trust that supports community businesses in England. You can get involved on Twitter, at The CB Fix, and on Facebook. Just search for Power to Change. On this show, we're going to tell the story of the fall and rise of an old local bakery in Liverpool, of how, as the houses around it were demolished or mothballed as part of a government plan, the boldly titled Housing Market Renewal Initiative, HMRI, and it died from lack of footfall, it found a new purpose. It now operates as a CLT, a community land trust. You can find out more about CLTs in our show notes, and it's something we'll be exploring as a possible blueprint for the future of high streets. But at the heart of this story is an issue we all face. What happens to an area when it loses its local shops and businesses? Well, what usually happens is that we get in our cars or public transport and head out of town to one of those faceless industrial estates, where we load up our trolleys with a week's shopping. Maybe we talk briefly to the checkout operator, maybe we turn to the person behind us in the queue and ask them if they saw that show on TV last night. Maybe we just stand in silence, irritated that the old man at the front of the queue is taking too long to load his trolley. Chances are, all we want to do is to get that trolley paid for and the stuff back home. Remember the days when we bought bread from the local baker? I do. And I remember how it mattered that he knew who I was. Community is a word you hear a lot in these podcasts. It's hard to define, but it's something we seem to be losing. We all have our own idea of what it means, but at the heart of it, 
It's about belonging. And to belong, you need places to go, where, in the words of that cheesy theme tune from the TV show Cheers, everybody knows your name. So, where do we begin? Over to Anfield residents and founding members, Angela, Sue and Mark. We're actually in Everton, but the other side of the road is in Anfield. These two wards are among the poorest in the country. Very densely populated working class areas where people were put out of work in vast numbers in the 1960s because of the, the end of the docks. There was a lot of issues around housing particularly in this area where as part of what was called HMRI, Housing Market Renewal Initiative, they compulsory purchased all the streets, moved people out and then tinned the houses up and they were left vacant for a long time. A lot of them were knock, knocked down. So we were just living with like barren land, plots of different boarded up houses. Um, I lived facing a whole terrace full of houses as people left or died because people had lived there a long time. They just got boarded up. And it was like a plague really because you had a couple of houses became empty and then perhaps another one. It became very isolating because you'd lost people around you, you'd lost the community, you'd lost your shops. So what happens when you lose those shops? Local resident and founding member Sue remembers when Walton Breck Road was a thriving high street where people didn't just go out to shop, but also to meet and talk. You went shopping every day, you uh, went into the every kind of shop along Walton Breck Road that you could think of, butchers, greengrocers, chandlers, whatever. And I think people went out every day, and that's where they made their connections. That's where you, you met your friends. And one of the things that has been really difficult for me is, is watching that community disappear bit by bit. The demise of Walton Breck Road is typical of thousands of high streets across the country. As businesses died, so did the communities they served. In Anfield, family firm Mitchell's, favourite of football fans, stuck it out for longer than some. There was a bakery here for years, it was a family-run business. They sold pies, they did well on match days. It was only a little counter area, it was always packed, you know, there was always stuff in the windows. I used to come in for the small hovers, because my mum used to like the small hovers um, and burnt. She used to get, say, get as burnt as you can. People were fond of it and it lasted longer than any other of the, those type of little home bakeries uh, in this end of the city. The bakery had been closed by the, the owners, the Mitchells, because Liverpool City Council had originally put a compulsory purchase on it and the Mitchells, our elderly, needed a lot of work doing. So they decided they would take the money from the council and retire. And then the council took that offer away and they were left with the building and they decided that they were just going to close it. I walked in occasionally to, to buy some food when I was working in the area. That's Dutch artist Jana van Heeswag. Homebaked grew from two up, two down, an art project commissioned by the 2010 Liverpool Biennial. Van Heeswag has been involved in a number of what are grandly called community-embedded projects and initially worked with a group of 40 young people from the Anfield area to repurpose four buildings within or close to the bakery. They chose Mitchell's building as their base for sound practical reasons. It was empty and it had tall windows which allowed those passing by to see what was going on inside and interact with it. Part of the project involved providing amenities for the neighbourhood which had been decimated by the decline in local businesses. 
The central question set for them was, what does it mean to live well? When they closed, I had a shock and it made even, I think, more prominent this, this idea that for healthy communities, you don't only need houses, but you need schools, you need work, you need local businesses. Soon, what began life as an art project took on a greater significance for Shona von Heiswag. Her CV suggests that her philosophy is to radicalise the local. In Anfield, she found herself in a physical, political and emotional environment that seemed to cry out for something to be done. The whole situation of like sort of boarded up property, street after street, the way in which people felt they were completely left out on what was exactly going to happen, the financial crisis that just happened and the fact if there were new houses going to be built at all, uh, the process was stagnated at that time. So there was so much going on. So I was just thinking that instead of like maybe doing something more temporary, I wanted to question the very essence of what it means when a neighborhood is actually changing uh, without the people having any say in it or any way of, of being in charge of that process. Van Heeshvag struck a deal with the Mitchells to rent the old bakery building, which by now was closed. And the art project began in it with a small group of young people, residents and artists. But soon the building itself began to influence the direction the project was taking. Here's artist and founding member Brit. We, at the time, were a small group of residents who were taking part in that, and we we rented the bakery from the family that were running it um, as a project space and then started to actually design, purpose design for that particular space. And while we were doing that, so we were looking at housing and we were looking at business, we always looked at a combination of the two as a high street, you know, looking back at, like, can we go back to a, a living on the high street? What would that mean? Having a shop on the high street, what would that mean? And, and while we were doing that, lots of people actually came through the door and wanted to buy bread. So I think that's really the happenstance of the... I mean, it's pretty obvious to do a bakery, but it wasn't necessarily that obvious in the moment. The story of people knocking on the bakery door asking to buy bread is part of the mythology of how home-baked came into being. The participants in the project responded to that demand. Volunteers began to bring in cakes they'd baked at home, and the appetite for them grew. Here's Sue again. So it, it opened as almost like a pop-up shop with donations, and people like me made cakes. We opened on football match days. Um, and it gradually then became obvious that we could develop this as a bakery. It was almost as if the bakery itself was calling out to the community, and people were listening. Angela McKay was one of those who heard that call and went to the first meeting after a flyer was put through her door. Like many local residents, the environment was influencing the way she felt about the area in which she lived and she recognised the potential for improvement. Just something. It was just a seed of something growing from just emptiness, do you know what I mean? It was just like, well, let's see what we can achieve as a different group of people, you know, um, that I'd never ever met before. I wanted to come out my streets and see something lively. I wanted to see a shop. I didn't want to see it to be a shop that was only open on match days, which was happening. I didn't want it to be an off license or anything to do with betting, you know, because it was just going to be functioning, people coming to the match and that. And so I wanted to come out and see people going past and, you know, wanted to see people living. 
because we'd been looking at these boarded up houses for years. Angela was by no means alone. Sam's another local who recognises the importance of places to go out and socialise. It's all about the scale. You want to be able to walk out your house and go and have a coffee in a social space somewhere to sit and buy food and chat. So there's that communication that has been ripped out of a lot of areas. You don't go to Asda to go and have a cup of coffee. Some people might, you know, nothing against Asda personally, to pick them out, but you don't do that. You sit. I was brought up where there was a high street. My mum used to disappear and she got in the shops and she was just chatting to everybody as she walked along. You knew everybody. And we have to, my dad would go, where's your mother? She's gone to the shops. That was the constant thing of a weekend. She's gone to the shops. Go and find your mother and she'd be chatting to somebody. And that's the same thing that you want, to be able to speak to your neighbours, speak to the people around here. And the bakery's start of that and we want to sort of progress that further down the high street so there's a, people are reconnected with each other. And it's not just about purchasing things, but if we are going to purchase things, it's local. Maybe it's locally grown or locally produced, but it's also the money's going back into the high street, back into the community, back into creating jobs here. You know, so it's, it's, it's a way of interconnecting. It's about living well together. So let's take a break. Maybe have a coffee and a cake. Where better? Hi, Angela. OK, if we come in. Hi, yeah, we're outside at Home Baked Anfield um, on the corner of Donaldson Street and Oakfield Road. So if you want to come in, I'll show you around, introduce you to our staff and former members of um, Community Land Trust and Home Farm. Um, so this is Kirsty, she's a new member of staff with us. Um, it's really nice because you see loads of people who you've known for years and like I just grew up in Venmore Street, just two, two, three roads down. So you see lots of people who you know, and we like to make people feel welcome and stuff. And some people don't, you know, have a chance to get out that much or socialise on me. So it's really important, like, to encourage people to come in and say, don't worry, we don't mind if, you know, your children are a little bit loud or we don't mind, you know, come in, have a nice time, just enjoy the food. Homebaked believes in paying a living wage and no zero-hour contracts. This only adds to the pressure for the organisation to be financially sustainable, but is at the heart of a set of conditions home-baked fields are important for a community business to thrive. Because for a community business to thrive, the people involved need to be properly looked after as well. For Kirsty, the security was vital. It got me out of a job where I was working in town, which was a zero-hour contract. So it's really hard. It's hard to live your life on a zero-hour contract. It's hard to raise your family not knowing one week you can have 40 hours the next week I could just have five hours it's really hard to live like that so it, for me personally it gives me stability you can't be a parent if you don't know when your next do you know meals coming from so this is the cafe area and um, so this is where all you know people can come in and sit down and have a lunch breakfast and then on a match day we... on match days supporters from both sides queue halfway down the road for the pies the signature pie is the Shankly, named after Liverpool FC's iconic manager Bill Shankly and based on his favourite recipe. Unlike a lot of football grounds, at the end of the day the unsold food is collected and given to food banks and homeless centres. Here's photographer, founding member and now baker Mark Loudon. When we began the project nobody knew anything about food. It was just a lovely idea to open a bakery and this was you know, previously a home bakery but they, we've kind of learned on the job. So, so it's, this is sixth year now, and we're employing 
I think 17 people, about 17 or 18 people. None of them, you know, very few of those full-time, but we're employing and training that many people, you know. One of those people is KP, Jamie. To him, it's not just about work, it's about self-respect. I started off volunteering um, a couple of months ago, and then um, I ended up getting um, a part-time job, 15 hours a week, which I'm, I'm happy about. So I used to attend the White Chapel Centre, and that's where I met Angela. And then she told me about the volunteer project here, so that's where I started volunteering here, and then we did the job. I can work well a bit now, because at first, it's like living on a job centre, it's not good. And it's making me, like, coming to work every single day, it's just, it's just great. Like you wear something, really. I'm working on getting trained as a baker, so I can come in the morning and make bread and do whatever. And get trained on every aspect, basically. Learning on the job and transferring skills has helped make home-baked successful and is another key element for a new kind of high street. Here's local artist Sam Jones. Yeah. You have a skill or you want to learn one, you get involved and that's how it works. Yeah. Me and Pat actually, before we started to make pies, we went off and learned how to make um, pies with a master baker who was local resident, so with transference of skills, he used to sell them outside in his, in his bike, so he came in to sort of support us in that skill. That was very, very, very early on. A sustainable business that grew from an art project has brought many unexpected benefits. Without a bunch of shareholders to please, they have the privilege of more freedom to experiment, which can take them in new directions. Local artist Sam Jones again. Just a different way of thinking of things. You know, you can just think around problems rather than getting stuck with them. And also, you can create something, just try it out, not be scared about stuff, just maybe it's an attitude to just, let's just try it, let's see how it works and do it in a way that people can connect to, maybe it's the aesthetic or the approach that people sort of can sort of buy into as well and being sort of exciting about it and it uh, seems that, I don't know, we, we just try and make things happen very quickly as well so we're not sort of held, held back by things, just like okay we're going to try it let's have a go and then people see it and go wow yeah that could be something as we've heard on previous episodes it takes the right mix of energy enthusiasm and expertise not just to initiate these projects but equally importantly to make them sustainable the home-baked community business grew almost accidentally out of an arts project Artists and business people are not always the most natural bedfellows, but there can be a real synergy when they do come together and respect each other's skill sets. There will inevitably be tensions, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. We had people who got involved who were expert chefs and really good bakers, and then we had people involved to join our board, for example, who, who knew quite a bit about business. I think it's fair to say there were a lot of um, not great business decisions made in those early days. But there was very little business experience on the board and it had got funding from the Kickstarter, it had got some funding from, from the Biennial, who received some funding from the John Moores Foundation to pay some wages over a period. That was Sally Ann Watkiss, treasurer of Home Baked. For artist Brit, the important thing was to learn from their mistakes. I think what was really important was to understand, um, and I'm probably not even the right person to talk about this because, you know, I, I was there in the beginning, but I'm not a business expert. But, but I think what, what helped us 
a lot was kind of understanding what our main product is, which is pies. Um, and the pies make enough money or for a while made enough money to cross fund, for example, the bread. Now we're at a point where the bread and the cafe make enough money and they hold their own. But for a while, we, we, the, the pies made that money. And of course, the match days and the wholesale that we started doing. Sally Ann Watkiss joined the bakery team after they sent out a tweet asking for accounting assistance. Sally Ann had previously managed accounting departments and teams for large blue chip organisations, but has been a fixture of the cafe since responding to that tweet, serving customers pies on match days, in addition to managing the finances for the team. They needed her expertise. Six to nine months after we opened, it became apparent that it wasn't sustainable as a business in its own own right. I was beginning to be involved by then, looked at the numbers and realised that actually we were losing money on every loaf we sold. We were selling high-end drinks in the cafe, but weren't selling Coke or Tango or anything that our customers actually wanted. So there was a period then of of consolidation which was a shifting our emphasis away from um, bread onto pies. We didn't even know it was going to be pies when we started it was just oh match day let's make some pies see how that goes the next thing we're just making as many pies as we can we're making thousands a week now we still can't make enough pies to sell you know uh, but that's what the business side what you know has been based on and everything else we do is supported by that at how we could maximise match days. So at that point, we introduced a differential pricing model. So we charge more for, for stuff on match days to cross-subsidise lower prices in the cafe out, outside of the match. We've got a contract with Liverpool Football Club. We send over 700 uh, mini pies for the executive and director's boxes. As a business, that's a feather in our cap. That helps us sustain jobs um, and going forward you know we're looking for other contracts like that it's only sustainable because of where it's located were it not located next to the club it wouldn't be sustainable recognizing factors like that which impact the success of a business is key to sustainability angela mckay again as the bakery we spend our money in a three mile radius our money that we're making is invested into local businesses, so we get the local butcher, we get our pie cases from a gentleman not for, we could buy them online, which would be cheaper, but that's not what we're about. And so revenue earned from the community is returned to the local area. And that's how long-term regeneration can begin, in a collaborative rather than competitive manner. Sally Ann feels shops working to a common purpose to serve their locals used to be part of the high street but is lacking now. The high streets worked together. All the shop owners along a row would put on a Christmas party for the kids. They'd give the free food to the families that they knew needed it without making a, a song and, and dance about it. It worked as, a, as an ecosystem that is now destroyed in modern, modern times and there's little pockets of it beginning to build again. We've heard a lot about the hard work local communities are putting in, but what are the government doing to support this growing movement? A new panel of experts are reviewing the changing face of the high street. Chief Executive of Power to Change, Vidya Alexson, 
and Sir John Timpson of Timpson Shops are on that panel. There's a considerable amount of interest in the role that communities and community businesses might play in reviving the high street and revitalising it, which is why Power to Change was approached um, for me to sit on the high streets expert panel. The panel's chaired by Sir John Timpson, who's a very well-known retailer of Timpsons, which repairs shoes and cuts keys all over the country. The centre of the town is important to the community, and shops are part of that, but then only only part. I mean, you, you don't just want to look at shops, you want to look at uh, leisure facilities, health facilities, arts events that go on, restaurants, all that. So it isn't just shops, it's what creates a place. It's all a question of place creation, place management. And it's got to be done locally, and it's got to be driven locally. I think high streets and town centres make places livable. And I think what we're trying to create is not just a country that's economically successful in terms of GDP, but a country where people have a good quality of life and where they have places to live that thrive and are vibrant, not just in our big major cities, but all across the country. The challenge is that we're not going to reverse the trend in retail. We're not going to suddenly get everybody to stop doing online retail. So we have to reimagine the high street and think about what can keep people coming into the town centre, experiences that people can have in the city centre or in the town centre that they couldn't have elsewhere. It, it is uh, very important to communities that they get local shops, local people, and also individual independent shops. To be successful, uh, to to change a town centre so that it actually does grow and has more life and is more relevant. It can only come from within the community. It's not something government's going to be able to do. Government can help them by clearing obstacles out the way and giving support and providing information. But this, for change to happen, it's got to be uh, instigated locally. Homebait is a blueprint for the locally instigated ecosystem that Sir John Timpson talks about. And those ecosystems gain strength as people come together from all walks of life to bake, to talk, to share their life experiences and even their beliefs, with a vibrant team of volunteers, some of whom come from as far away as North America. Yeah, Tuesday, Thursday nights we do uh, pie making shifts, so we get volunteers in to help us out of an evening. Well, we're missionaries for our church, so we try to look for service opportunities within the community. Yeah, we wanted to try to help where we can. I'm from Canada. I'm from America. There's always music and singing. Not right now, but usually. <laughs> um, it, it always smells, smells good. Everyone's funny. The accents are great. It's a happy place to be. It's nice to be around people that are happy. We usually do around two batches and we cook it in that brat pan over there and um, we'll get anywhere between 300 and 350 in a batch. The bakery is a beginning and the metal shuttering over some of the local windows is coming down, letting the light back into rooms that haven't seen it for decades. But is it just a one-off? Or is it a model that could be used in other towns and cities facing the same problems of economic hardship and social isolation? Sally Ann again. It is possible and it, it, it builds around this cluster concept. 
the bakery is the start, the street becomes the destination, people start to come out to one shop and then go to multiple shops. So we don't know yet what we what we'd want on our high street, but we've got a bit of an idea from what our customers tell us that they're interested in, you know, they want a post office, they want a hairdresser's or a barber's. When they come out for one thing and there's other things as well, it gives people a reason to come out. Having had success, the bakery is now providing a place for other local entrepreneurs to come and try out their ideas. Just space that if someone has got a small business that they say, you know, I don't know whether this can can make it into a business that we can say well okay you can have a pop-up shop here before they take on loans and I think it's also it's, it's allowed us to set up other projects we're looking at sort of doing a microbrewery and brewing and you know and all of these things and selling setting up market stalls so the food, fresh food can go through so it gives a space for local people to actually come up with their own ideas so it's not people telling us what should be there someone doing a feasibility and saying this is what should be there actually this is what we want so therefore that is what we're going to do this is the hope we do it from because it's, it's, it's here there's not much else so we all come together and the ideas start to burgeon from this site and grace is one of those potential entrepreneurs she started coming to home baked early on as a volunteer and is now working on an idea to set up kitty's laundrette a community laundrette and creative space just down the road from home baked a perfect example of the cluster effect we heard about earlier. I, I always say that um, probably in the origin of the idea we do owe a lot to like amazing conversations at Homebaked over the last six years and then also Homebaked continues to function as a really amazing um, site for like uh, trying out ideas. We started thinking about a laundrette as um, a space that was um, warm and quite social and uh, had benches and was quite uh, accessible and cosy and, and things like that and um, and I guess um, the, our interest in making it a social enterprise definitely was inspired and informed by, by Homebaked and that idea that um, you can build something that's self-sustaining that's also socially valuable and that it can also be like a platform for different ways of thinking and different ideas and, and stuff like that. There's so much knowledge here amongst the people who work in both the bakery and the CLT that we've benefited hugely from, um, whether that's you know bookkeeping and financial modelling or whether that's policy documents or you know anything they're down the road or they're on, they're on the end of the phone and we give them a call and they've been, yeah, brilliant. You can find out more about Kitty's Laundry in our show notes. Homebaked is actually two organisations. In April 2012, they formed a community land trust, a CLT, while Homebaked Bakery Cooperative was incorporated two months later, in June 2012. The two organisations have separate memberships, it's a pound to become a member of the CLT and five pounds a year to join the cooperative bakery. As its name suggests, the CLT has property interests at its heart. Angela McKay. The Community Land Trust, which I'm a founder member of, um, we got a grant to do um, the flat above. 
So the flats above is for four people in shared accommodation. It's affordable rent. During the renovation, it was all what we'd hoped it'd be, you know, from when we first started coming in the bakery. I live opposite, so it's lovely to see people coming in and out. The bakery and the CLT are working really closely together to, um, I guess, scale that, scale that model up. We have now housing above the bakery, and now we're looking at the currently boarded up block right next to us, adjacent to the bakery. And um, what we will offer is a mixed-use scheme, refurbishing those houses, a mixed-use scheme um, that offers some space for, for local business and social business, and then probably eight homes of different sizes, or nine homes of different sizes, so flats, but also a full house, and some green space. You can hear it in the voices and the language used by the people involved in the home-baked projects. It's a new confidence, a new purpose. HMRI, that government initiative launched back in 2002, was seen as a way to clear acres of what the market considered low-value housing and replace it with new houses, which would, so the theory went, increase the appeal of areas and the value of houses. It didn't work. Well, the first bit did, in that many houses ended up tinned up and that's how they remained, while the swanky new developments somehow never came along. Many of the people behind this incredible new cooperative were the victims of this failed policy, but they fought back and reclaimed their bakery and their streets, and they're fiercely proud of where they live. Who can blame them? On March the 10th, 2017, home-baked cooperative bakery won five awards at the British Pie Awards, including a gold for its Scouse Pie. If you find yourself in Liverpool, call in and treat yourself, and maybe stay for a while in the cafe and have a chat, just past the time of day, like people used to along the high streets. As a local resident who's lived in the area for 15 years, before I was involved with the bakery, I really, I, I really didn't know anyone. The bakery is like... Um, you know, opened up so many um, new friendships and opportunities for me um, to, to do a lot of different things. But yeah, in terms of community, I, I don't think the re I re really felt that I was part of a community. A nice place to come to eat and somewhere where you feel like you're getting a nice warm hug. It's a place where you see people come and they, they are loved and kind of welcomed as they are. And that's one of the things that I think just, yeah, stands out. And it's just become like a beacon of hope. And what it's also done is brought a lot of good people from around the country into the area, uh, working through uh, home-baked and, and, and their ethos. And from that, we're just seeing seeds of renewal across the area. I think the bakery turned out to be also like something that was amazing for the way to communicate about this desire to create collectively an alternative future to the proposed plans, because it was um, about like sustenance. As we do in every show, it's time to ask a community expert for their top tips. This episode, it's Hannah Sloggett from Nodge Community Builders in Plymouth. Hannah used to be a planning manager for Plymouth City Council, working on community engagement and regeneration. Alongside founder Wendy Hart and fellow locals, they set up Nodge Community Builders to revive Union Street, a once thriving high street at the heart of the town. They use small nudges, like art in unlikely places, and a weekly street market to make people stop and engage with the high street. 
Since 2010, they've renovated a derelict shop that runs all sorts of activities, from men's mental health groups to Tai Chi, and has a cafe. Nudge also recently raised nearly £205,000 in community shares, with 151 investors in 67 days to save the Clipper pub. It will house independent enterprises and makers, and two residential flats upstairs. Here are her tips. One of the first things that we did was a community gallery on all of the empty buildings. There's 15 empty buildings along Union Street. We covered them with graphics that were either made by local people or photos of local people, poems and things like that. There's quite a lot that we've done around reclaiming spaces. And within that process, you then start to understand what's holding some of those spaces back. So I think one of the big things is around taking risks. So I think there's something about being very confident about what you're planning to do and not budging too much. We've had to hold our own, you know, the the default for Union Corner was that they wanted to um, turn it down. The default for the clipper, even though the council had invested and the investment required us to put in two flats, the default for the planning department was to say no. So, and that's me, I used to work in the planning department, so it's quite an experience to, uh, to feel that. So I think there's something around um, being really confident at how you approach the planning department and as much as you can, um, set it in their language and their framework and their vision so they understand how you're supporting those wider, um, the the sort of wider vision that they might have for an area, for a city. That was Hannah Sloggett from Nudge Community Builders in Plymouth. If you want to learn more about the Nudge story, check out their website at nudge.community. And if you're near Plymouth, pop along for a visit. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the story of Mitchell's Bakery. It's proof that enthusiasm counts for everything. You can always find the experts along the way. So if you're thinking about doing something similar or in the middle of your community business adventure, get the latest news on events, grants and support on the Power to Change website. That's powertochange.org.uk. We'll be adding links and other useful information on the show notes for this episode. And you can also connect with us by following on Twitter at the CB Fix. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show and your stories about community activism. Don't forget to subscribe to the Community Business Fix on your favourite podcast app and give us a share, like and review. Once you're subscribed, it will mean you won't miss our next episode where we'll be finding out about how community kitchens and cafes provide much more than food to local people. You've been listening to a Fieldwork production commissioned by Power to Change. It was presented by me, Neil Roberts. Research and production by Curtis James. Sound and music by Simon James. Writing and executive production by Chris Paling. And finally, we'd like to thank everyone in Liverpool who helped make this show happen. We couldn't have done it without you.